much like the last couple of weeks, we're going to dive back into autoimmunity and we're going to talk now really about the genetics. And I actually chose to leave this at the end because I was actually worried that it would sort of cloud everybody's opinion of what really drives that root cause. Genetics play a role, but in itself, carrying some of the genes that we're going to talk about today and the mutations on them aren't necessarily determinant that you're going to get an autoimmune condition. And so I, I wanted to make sure that I gave some background also, because when you start talking about these genes, it's easier if you understand what these genes encode for. So if you think of your genes as DNA instruction manuals, they instruct your body to actually do a few things. So today we're going to deep dive into the genetics of autoimmunity. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. Welcome back to This Functional Life. So, much like the last couple of weeks, we're going to dive back into autoimmunity and we're going to talk now really about the genetics. And I actually chose to leave this at the end because I was actually worried that it would sort of cloud everybody's um, opinion of what really drives that root cause. Genetics play a role, but in itself, carrying some of the genes that we're going to talk about today and the mutations on them aren't necessarily determinant that you're going to get an autoimmune condition. And so I, I wanted to make sure that I gave some background also, because when you start talking about these genes, it's easier if you understand what these genes encode for. So if you think of your genes as DNA instruction manuals, they instruct your body to actually do a few things. So today we're going to deep dive into the genetics of autoimmunity. I know I've talked about genetics before, but in case somebody has not listened to some of my other podcasts, let me back up and just make sure I do a primer on genetics because I don't want to lose you right in this initial conversation because you don't have this. So our genes are our instruction manuals, you know, and so our our genetics, we get one copy of a gene from mom, one copy of the gene from dad, right? So, and, and it's that combination. We have what we call the wild type of the gene. The wild type is just the most prevalent, right? So that means if 51% of the population have an A and an A, that means it's the wild type. So just more prevalent. And if 49% have an A and a B, then that's going to be a mutation or a B and a B, right? So, so mutations, so how do mutations occur on our genes? Well, most of the time, at least the general consensus is that these gene mutations, because they exist in, in ethnic groups, they exist in in combination and clustering, particularly of where our ancestors um, arose from. So my ancestors, I'm Caucasian, my ancestors came from Northern Europe, where we had a wild variety of, of temperature changes throughout a year. And we went through times where there was lots more scarcity than somebody's who's, who's 
ancestors came from the Fertile Crescent or they came from tropical regions where food was always plentiful. So a lot of these genes came about based probably on the environment our ancestors grew up. And many times, some of these genes that may lead us at a greater risk to inflammatory conditions like the HLA genes and these PTNP22 genes that may cause like a greater inflammatory response or a more amplified immune response may have well developed because we had greater risk of because of our environment to infection and inflammatory conditions that would kill us early. And so the body adapted by creating a greater um, inflammatory response to incoming pathogens and viral toxins, all the stuff we've been talking about. So your genes we inherit from our parents and a mutation is simply a slight change on an amino acid. So think of that. That's the spelling error. You know, maybe it was supposed to be an E and now it's an A. So you can kind of understand the word, but it's not spelled correctly. And the more of those we have, the more impactful it is. So when we look at these autoimmune conditions, what we also know is that these spelling errors, just so everybody knows the name of them, are these things called single nucleotide polymorphisms. So let me give you a little bit of history about genetics and specifically the combination of genes that are associated with autoimmunity. So we started the Human Genome Project a little over 25 years from now to try and identify, obviously, the genetics involved in disease and other things. And at that time, most of the studies were looking at these very individualized genetic codes for diseases. Well, in 2005, an immunologist named David Hafler, who I think at that time was actually at Harvard, and a geneticist, John Todd from the University of Cambridge, uh, got together and actually, I think, probably met in a pub. Honestly, I'm not quite sure, but I'm, I remember reading the story about them meeting. And Hafler was studying multiple sclerosis, and Todd was mainly looking at type 1 diabetes. And at the time, they were then using what was considered a new approach, looking at the genome-wide associated studies, or GWAS. And they were looking for the same thing, regions on the genetic code, so areas or paragraphs or chapters within the genetic code that may encode for autoimmune diseases. They had leads, but they had nothing conclusive that uh, they, could, they could really say that this is, this is it. And what they found was is that they were both looking in similar regions, and they had no idea that Basically, we had all this commonality between mutations on genes and genetic regions that crossed over multiple autoimmune diseases. So now GWAS has implicated hundreds of regions on the genome that are associated with autoimmune conditions. And these variants typically have small individual effects. So what does that mean? So if I have a single gene that is a paragraph within my instruction manual, but I only have one spelling error in it, it in itself may not be that monumental. But when you add it together with several regions, several spelling errors, several grammatical errors within a chapter, that may have a lot to do with it. So most autoimmune diseases arise from a combination of genetic predisposition, environmental triggers that then disrupt the immune system's ability to distinguish self from other. And you know, in rare cases, there are some autoimmune conditions that are what we call monogenic. That is a mutation in a single gene. I'll give you a good example of that. And that would be the HLA-B27 gene associated with ankylosing spondylitis. You basically have to have that mutation in order to have ankylosing spondylitis. 
so what are we really looking at? We're looking at uh, an area inside your instruction manual that is defined by this major histocompatibility complex. So all animal groups, all vertebrates have a region in their genes that encode for this major histocompatibility complex. So the compatibility word being the important part. So everyone, every vertebrate animal has that. Within that region, we have the HLA region, the human leukocyte antigen region, which is the human region on that, that instruction guide that is linked to autoimmunity. This region contains genes that are involved in presenting antigens to immune cells. So it harbors a bunch of risk factors for autoimmune diseases, and it, it, it typically contributes the largest risk for of any genetic factor. And around half of the genetic susceptibility in many, many di- diseases like type 1 diabetes and even like a celiac is associated to the variation of the HLA gene. So you guys know that I'm, I'm an open book and I've already shared my genetics. And if you haven't listened to that, I do, that I, ca- I carry actually the gene combination for risk for type 1 diabetes. And I also carry the genetics for celiac. And so that means that I carry these mutations in my instruction guide in the HLA family. So for celiac, it's HLA DQ2 and DQ8 are the primary like paragraphs for instruction. I've got some spelling errors in there that make you or make me at a greater risk. And again, it's that, it's that presentation. So it's the, the instructions to the doorman. So the doorman gets a fouled up message and starts going to the wrong place when we have mutations in that region of my instruction manual. So the effect of HLA seems to be fairly straightforward to identify. So let's talk a a little bit about the different HLAs that we know quite a bit about. When we look at HLA, we have several. So a lot of the HLA genes encode for that histocompatibility complex um, class two. And so the genes that are associated with um, multiple autoimmune conditions, so some of them are the HLA DR2. So the HLA DR2 gene is associated with lupus, but it also has association with multiple sclerosis. So if you carry regional changes there and you get an environmental change that, that leads to a greater likelihood of immune dysregulation, your risk for lupus may be higher in multiple sclerosis. What's interesting is carrying a mutation on that gene is actually inversely correlated with risk for type 1 diabetes. So sometimes that response that may increase one risk may actually reduce the other. There's another gene called HLA-DR3 that's associated with uh, type 1 diabetes and Sjogren's. And we even have one HLA-DR4 that's associated with type 1 diabetes and things like rheumatoid arthritis. There's another one called PTNP22 which encodes for an enzyme involved in multiple immune system signaling pathways. So you can imagine, okay, we've got one that tells the doorman what to do. And then we have another one that is affecting the walkie-talkie communication and the cell phone communication between your immune system and causing static or causing, you know, you've had a cell phone conversation where like every other word gets dropped. So you're sort of halfway figuring out what's being said. So that PTNP22 gene can affect that signaling. And so basically, it's like having a conversation where part of the conversation is getting dropped. And that has been, been studied fairly heavily also. And so when we, when we know that we have that communication breakdown, that's another piece. 
And then there's a protein called FOXP3. So FOXP3 is crucial to the development and the regulatory activity of our T cells. Remember, we talked a lot about T cells and what T cells do. And it, you know, essentially affects particularly T regulatory cells, which are supposed to put a break on the immune system response. So if we start looking at those genes, the degree in which we are mutated is the degree in which we may have greater risk. So sometimes there's genes that are very unique. You know, we went through one like the HLA-B27 gene and, um, you know, that uh, that very much has to be associated or it's monogenic for an autoimmune condition like ankylosing spondylitis. But sometimes we can have a gene that has a big effect that is is actually because it causes a loss of function. So, for instance, there's a gene called DNASE1L3, and it causes a loss of function. This gene encodes for an enzyme called DNase gamma that helps to clear away DNA of dead cells. So, if you remember my discussion about viruses and bacteria and damps, if I have a bunch of DNA that's broken up out of cells and I've got a bunch of debris from the cell... If, if the body's unable to clear away that DNA, the body may mistake it for other. So without that enzyme, the DNA accumulates and it stimulates this autoimmune response because you have basically these DNA parts floating around in your body. That's been associated with a very specific form of lupus. So there's increasing interest in variants that may be rare, but still only cause some of these what they call polygenic diseases. So the interesting thing is, as we look at more and more research going into GWAS, what we're going to find is that we are probably have other genes that may play a role here uh, in, in turning different autoimmune conditions on. And it's probably a stacking of these genes. And depending on how you're wired, your combination may make you at a greater risk for a particular autoimmune condition, but also may protect you against another one. And it really is the stimulation of these genes with these other things we've been talking about that may drive a lot of activity that increases your likelihood of autoimmune conditions. So let me sum all this up because I know it's super heady. There's a couple other genes that we need to look at as well that aren't necessarily immune system programming genes. So think of them there. So they are genes that respond that are responsible for inflammatory response. So they aren't directly uh, communicating with the immune system and maybe telling T cells to do the wrong things or telling your doorman to do the wrong things or causing the signaling in the cell phone communication to drop. They are actually genes that increase our ability to get inflamed. And if you remember in the first part of the conversation, that actually helped us if we were in environments where an inflammatory response would be valuable. So, for instance, if I was in an environment where I was a hunter-gatherer fighting animals and covering long you know, areas of ground, climbing over rocks and jumping off of things, I had a higher likelihood of injuring myself. And if I didn't have a good inflammatory response, I'd either get an infection from whatever happened to me or I might hurt something and not be able to recover. So one of the genes that we look at that's that's a risk for lots of things, it's definitely a risk for stroke and heart attack, and we know it has a lifetime risk of Alzheimer's, is the APOE gene, the apolipoprotein E. And depending on your variant in this gene, we have three different versions. We have a 2, 
a three and a four. So you can get any combination. You can get a two from mom, two from dad, a two and a four, a three and a three, a three and a four. Well, what we know is when people have the four, especially a four, four or three, four, they have a significantly greater inflammatory response. So they have a greater risk for cardiovascular disease, stroke, and Alzheimer's in their lifetime because it is just pro-inflammatory. And and especially if you stack that with a terrible American diet and not taking care of yourself, you have a recipe for disaster. Well, what's interesting is when they looked at APOE4 in people with MS, they found that there's a significant increase in people with MS. They Their disability score went up. And their disease uh, activity as far as between mild and moderate and high actually went up. And so what they think is that that region of that APOA gene may actually be driving a more inflammatory response that has strong association with the clinical course of MS, right? So some of these other inflammatory genes that we may have may actually be also problematic just because they're going to drive a greater inflammatory response and drive what's already happening in the immune system into a situation where it's way more inflamed and way more activated. So much like all the other conversations, what can you do about this? So, you know, many of these genes, we don't necessarily have commercial testing to identify every possible HLA, human leukocyte antigen um, gene, and or uh, your your other APOE is pretty readily available, but you know the PTNP twenty two gene. A lot of those um, are not commercially available in any real way, or you can order some but not others, and it becomes quite expensive. The real true thing is, 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 you know, I believe knowledge is power. And so when we do have an opportunity to know at least some of our genetics, I think it's valuable. Obviously, I know a lot about mine. But let's say you already are diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, right? So we, we can pretty much assume that you have these environmental inputs that stimulated one or many of these different immune pathways that are controlled by the, the book of your DNA in these different families. And so... The action point is not at the fact that you have the gene because now it's been turned on, right? So the light switch has been flipped up. And so the gene itself is not where we direct our effort, not directly. But what we do is we look at the root cause and we look at all of these different faucets in, that are pouring into the bucket. So I have the genetic faucet that we know we probably have a little bit of drizzle happening every day into the bucket. But I look at my toxins. I look at my hormones. I look at my gut. I look at my microbiome. I look at my food. I look at my inflammation. I look at my stress. And I look at all of these different things, bacterial and viral load and pathogens. And those are the areas in which you make a difference. Because they add to the load. So if the immune system is already fired up and we've got a switching of that genetic switch, what you do is want to lower the load because each one of those act as fire starter on a fire. And so if I've got all of them getting fire starter all the time, then I'm going to have an overall effect that's greater. So even though we know autoimmune conditions run in families. And if you have a family member, you're more likely to have it. Um, they often affect specific groups like we see MS is more common in Northern European descent. 
And lupus actually tends to be slightly more prevalent in people of African descent, Hispanic, and Asian populations. But of course, this crosses all risks. And we know that, you know, most of the people that have autoimmune conditions have multiple genes that are responsible for it. Where you take the action is in the things you can actually change. So we see this every day in our clinic. We have people that have been diagnosed with one or more autoimmune conditions. And when we start to address these underlying root cause, we see improvement overall. Now, does that mean that every single person has a resolution of those diseases and and they stop completely? That would be inappropriate for me to say. But we do see improvements. And a lot of times it is a combination of a lot of natural things. Sometimes it is a natural thing with also medication involvement. Obviously, I don't prescribe. But in order to really affect the genes, you have to affect the fire that's turning him on. So the good thing about it is knowing what genes actually have a role helps you understand the mechanism. And then all the other things we've been talking about up until this point are the things that are actionable. And that's where you really take your step. So if you are listening to all this and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of faucets going into my bucket and I need to figure that out, this is the time to look for a functional medicine practitioner that understands this and really knows how to navigate it. And like I said, this is a pretty deep dive. I've been in this for 18 years and and so I've been around it myself. This is actually what drove me to to really kind of deep dive into nutrition and functional medicine. You know, on top of my hormone problems and other things, I also had, you know, colitis and and celiac. So I had other driving things that sort of drove that interest to begin with. But it takes somebody that really understands it. So if you are diagnosed with autoimmune conditions and you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you want to make sure that you really have a conversation ideally before you go in and ask some of the questions that you've learned in this series to find out what's their depth of knowledge in working with people with these conditions. Because functional medicine is kind of like saying medicine, right? What kind of medicine? What kind of specialty? What kind of thing are you doing? Or another analogy is saying like, I sell ice cream. Well, do you have 52 flavors? Do I have 152 flavors? People that get into this are usually like me that they've had themselves get sick or one of their family members and they sort of deep dove. And often their area of attention is the stuff that they themselves had to deal with or somebody close to them. And that may be where their focus is or they decided to focus in. So just because somebody says they're a functional medicine practitioner does not mean that they are the master maker of all ice cream. And actually, I would say anybody that is kind of a master of all trades is a master of none, right? A jack, or I guess I should say that correctly, a jack of all trades is a master of none. So you want to make sure that you have a conversation about their depth of understanding and especially their depth of understanding about what to do with all of these environmental and lifestyle and diet factors, because that's where the change really needs to occur. Um, it is autoimmunity is one of the most complex conditions on the planet. And I wish there was one answer and I wish there was the, like the silver bullet and there's not, but you can address it and you can improve things, but you got to know what's really happening. So I know this was a heady, heady subject matter. You know, I I actually started this uh, podcast like three different times trying to figure out how do I talk about these in a way that are meaningful, but not get so down in the um, trenches that it's not understandable. And I hope that it helped you understand just the mechanism of, of the genes in this world. 
And so I want to thank you for listening to this functional life and, and deep diving today into the genetics of autoimmunity. And if you found this valuable and you have friends or other people, please share it. And I'd love to hear feedback. So if you found it great and you want to leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform, I would love it because that's actually how people find podcasts is um, based on the reviews and, and what people say. So if you loved it, great. And if you didn't, I'd love to hear that too. Because I, I love feedback. I like to learn. And learning means sometimes being wrong. And many times being wrong, actually. You learn more from your mistakes than you do from your wins. So thank you so much for listening to This Functional Life. And take care. Thank you so much for tuning into This Functional Life. You are why I'm here. And I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.